If this topic has caught your attention, then please stick around. The issue of secrecy in eating, it's an important one because of the weight that it carries. And if you have a practice of secret eating or maybe a secret food avoidance, then let me just love on you a bit today. I want to shed some light on the beginning of the path to freedom from this practice and all the related entanglements that it represents. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True Food Freedom and Faith Podcast. I'm your imperfect host, Cheryl Sharko, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and biblical counselor, here to get real with you, my sisters in Christ. Yep, I'm talking to you who struggle with restrictive food rules, chronic dieting, yo-yo diets, emotional eating, and other issues that consume your life, your joy, and your peace. So get your comfy pants on like I did and get ready for some real talk about this journey, real nutrition information, and some real solutions so you can live a life in true food freedom and faith. Hello to my sisters out there. Well, today I want to touch on a topic that might seem small to many people. Uh, Perhaps to you, though, this is kind of a spear to the heart, or maybe it's an uncomfortable, unwelcome spotlight that you just want to run from. But I ask that you just sit back and listen today and perhaps get a glimpse of the hope that is there for you in Christ. You know, if you are someone who is regularly, purposefully eating in secret or hiding your food behaviors secretly, the truth is that you need to hear that you are probably on the path to an eating disorder. Or it may mean that you already are in the throes of an eating disorder that you don't clearly see by yourself. Sometimes that is very hard to see in ourselves. We can excuse these behaviors. Um, They start out as just a normal looking diet that get maybe a little more intense and take over a little more and a little more and we find we can't be fully honest with ourselves or others about it. So you may be fully in the practice of a full-blown eating disorder that you can't see for yourself. So whether you're on the path or you're already there, neither of these options should be taken lightly. First, let me just say, you are not alone. You are not a freak. You're not a fake Christian. You are a person who's suffering, perhaps more than you've even allowed yourself to acknowledge. Your suffering and your behaviors, they might not look like those that you see in others, but remember, you have to know that everybody, everyone you see, even in the church, is dealing with something. They're dealing with something because we live in this sin-sick world. We have sinful hearts. We're growing in sanctification. We're not there. Nobody has arrived. So everybody's dealing with something. And just like you don't let others see what you're dealing with in secret, well, keep in mind that you're not seeing what they deal with in secret either. So you're not alone. But it's important that you understand that one of the clearest indicators that you have a real problem in your relationship with food is when you're compelled to do any amount of eating in secret or have secret food restrictions. And this problem actually becomes more clearly pronounced the longer these behaviors are practiced. Medically acknowledged eating disorders, you know, eating disorders proper, are what disordered eating behaviors and thoughts can lead to over time. 
it's a direct path there. Now, not everybody who practices some of the disordered eating behaviors will develop a full-blown eating disorder, but it is certainly the pathway there. Eating disorders proper are diagnosable problems that require professional care and medical attention. But even if you don't actually meet the criteria for a bona fide eating disorder, you can absolutely still have a very dangerous problem with disordered eating and still have the same eating disorder mindset. That was my history. I might not have had the full-blown behaviors, but I certainly had the full mindset. So really, what's the difference? You know, in fact, heading towards a diagnosable eating disorder means that you right now are in need of help and healing and freedom in Christ, just as those who meet eating disorder criteria and healthcare manuals. So how do you know if you need this kind of help? How do you know where you fit on the spectrum? Well, it's simple in one way. If you're practicing secret eating behaviors regularly, this is one surefire sign that I am speaking directly to you today. You don't really need to parse out exactly where you fall in the disordered eating slash eating disorder range. You just simply need to recognize that you are in it. You are in that range. You are somewhere within it. Now, why do I want to talk about secrecy in eating specifically? Well, that's because secrecy in both disordered eating and in technical eating disorders, it's its own propellant. That means when we start to feel that we're ashamed of our eating patterns or our lack of eating, or, you know, we really fear interference from loved ones, we can begin to hide these behaviors. And this results in guilt and shame, which perpetuates more hiding, right? It's just like a a darkness. We're just living in this darkness and we're hiding. And when we don't want others to know what we're doing because, well, we don't really know if we want to stop the problem yet, not fully. Well, secrecy causes this terrible cycle and that in itself can and will keep you bound up in these enslaving chains. Hiding your food behaviors is truly never going to benefit you. There's no benefit there to you. It'll just cause you to sink deeper and deeper into the darkness alone. You know, the aloneness of an eating disorder is both its fuel and its barrier to recovery. And so what does secret eating look like? What are some examples? Well, it could be that when you're home alone, maybe you binge on everything you can find in just a few minutes. And you would never do that if, say, your spouse was home. Or maybe you stop on the way home from work to get an extraordinary amount of food and just eat it in your car before you get home. Or maybe if you're younger and you're living with your parents, you might be bringing food up into your bedroom and hiding it there and hiding your eating from onlookers. You might regularly make excuses that you've already eaten or I'll eat later, I'm not hungry quite yet, knowing full well that you have no intention of eating that meal. Um, It might look like lying about what you have eaten or throwing food away regularly when you're out of sight. You might be covering up your body more to hide any evidence of your eating patterns. So those are some examples and over time, the secrecy and the lying become much easier to do. They kind of just flow right off the tongue. They become part of your life cycle. Now, if you're recognizing any of this in yourself, sister, let me love on you a bit. 
I am not here to force you into anything or to condemn you. My hope is actually that you come to the place of wanting to get help. I pray, I pray that you do. No one can make you change. You are actually completely in charge of you. You are in full control of your decisions. But if you find that you do want help, even to the smallest degree, well, this is where we start. And I ask you to consider the steps that we're going to get to when we get back. Are you just dieting or has it become something more? And how can you tell the difference? Well, I'd like to put this helpful guide right into your hands that defines what disordered eating is. And if you've lived a life of weight cycling, yo-yo diets, a preoccupation with food rules and the number on the scale, well, you might just be surprised to see what is considered disordered eating. Now, don't let this scare you as I always believe knowledge is power. To get your free guide to recognizing disordered eating, as well as every future resource, sign up for the April 2022 newsletter at truefoodfreedomandfaith.com. Link in the show notes. Welcome back. So as I said before the break, you are in charge of your decisions. You're in charge of the trajectory here. No one's going to make you do anything. Nobody could make you do anything that's lasting anyway. But if you are even having the smallest inkling of getting hope, of getting free, then I ask you to consider these following steps that I'm going to walk through with you. And this is how we begin that journey towards getting help. But even if you're only willing to make one step, just one please let it be that you reach out and that you tell someone what you're struggling with. I know, I know, I'm giving what seems like the hardest step of all, but you can choose who this is. And I highly recommend that you make it a trustworthy person who loves you and, and, and is mature in the faith. This could be obviously and should be a spouse primarily. Let's start there. But then in addition a sister in Christ, or maybe another family member, maybe a pastor or his wife, a biblical counselor, certainly. So if you are only willing to do one thing, let it be that, that you reach out and you open up and you just tell someone what you are dealing with, what you're struggling with, what you're living with. Now, if you're willing to hear more, well, I'd like to lay out some steps for your consideration. Let's look at a few steps toward freedom in Christ. First, you must, must, must acknowledge, you have to acknowledge within yourself that you are enslaved in darkness. You are enslaved by this. Second Peter 2.19, the second half of that verse says, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So if you are becoming more and more overcome by this need to be secretive in your eating or you're not eating, you are enslaved. That's what scripture says. And we know scripture is true. And then Romans 6, 16 tells us, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So you have to really acknowledge where you are, that you are enslaved. You're just being bound up in a very dark place. Two, 
you now must, must, must understand that Christ absolutely can. He absolutely can set you free. John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, and he's talking about from sin, you will be free indeed. Hallelujah. What hope is there? This is the word of God. It's true. You can believe it. You can rely on it and know it's true, even when every bit of your feelings are going the opposite way. And Romans 6, 6 says that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that is the working of Christ in us with the end result that we're not going to be enslaved to sin any longer. And in 1 Peter 2, 16, we hear that we are to live as people who are free not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So this freedom that we are gaining in Christ allows us to please Him and not please our fleshly, maybe darker needs. Certainly not the enslavement of sin. We're not here to serve that. And with freedom comes a new desire and ability to be servants of God. That's the new freedom in Christ. It's not freedom to live in hedonistic fashion, that's not really freedom anyway. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you understand that that's very true. So that first step that I recommend is to really acknowledge that you are enslaved in darkness and then followed by, you must understand that Christ absolutely can, can set you free. Then third, we have to bring whatever is in darkness out into light. Christ is light and life. Sin is darkness and despair. So we don't want to be enslaved by these false and lying thoughts. We want to bring them out to light and expose them. Ephesians 5, 7 through 14 says that at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we're bringing out, we're acknowledging and seeing what is fruit for God in light and what is unfruitful in darkness. We want to expose those to the light. We want to awake. We don't want to be asleep in this darkness and sin. We want to rise from the dead with Christ and let him shine on us and on these dark places to expose them. And 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. How refreshing does that sound? How refreshing does that sound? As much as we're afraid to give up some of these entanglements in darkness. Think of the freedom and the light and the cleansing and in him having no darkness at all. 
So that was number three. We have to bring whatever's in darkness out into the light. And you know, sisters, we don't do this on our own. We do this through prayer and trusting in the Lord and with the Spirit's help. Number four, my next suggestion is to understand that it may take some time and faithful, wise, biblical counsel to really dig up those root reasons that you have been on this path anyway. What has led to this? It can take time. This isn't going to be a very quick process. God's faithful, and we can practice patient endurance as we trust in Him. And the Word of God is what is primarily used in this with faithful biblical counsel. Because Hebrews 4.12 says that, For the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now what that means is, as we dwell in the Word of God, those things are churned up in us. We're able to see and compare what the Word says with what the Holy Spirit's digging up in our hearts and revealing to us. So faithful biblical counsel is going to rely on scriptures such as John 7, 24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. They're going to go through the Psalms about a wise person being able to pull out what's in the heart of another through the Holy Spirit and prayer and faithful application of scripture. They're going to be praying like James 1, 5, that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And they're going to be relying on that wisdom from the Lord. It's going to take some time. It's going to take faithful, wise, biblical help. And that's why earlier on I said, if you do one thing, please talk to someone who loves you, but is also mature in the faith. My fifth suggestion is... So important. It's so important that if you're willing to go beyond talking to that one person, that you develop and really rely on that community of what I like to call biblical friends, which is just meaning the church, also family and loved ones. You know, you really, you can't do this all alone. You can't do this all alone because solitude and the isolation are what are actually feeding this, remember? That secrecy, being alone, isolating from other people, that's what's feeding this. Whereas Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So when you're on your own and you're isolating and you're starting to believe the deceptive lies, you really need sound judgment from others. You can't get that in isolation. And we see that truth in scripture. Also, as far as having a community of biblical friends or loved ones and family, don't believe the lie that other people, that sisters even in the church, have it all together and that they're going to condemn you for your problem. Now, it's true that you want to open up to a spiritually mature believer, maybe a pastor or a biblical counselor, a mature person in the faith, preferably all of the above. You know, 1 Peter 3.8 tells the church, the whole church body, it says, finally, all of you, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. That's what the church is supposed to be ministering to one another. Now, will all churchgoers be obedient in this? No. No, of course not. We're all sinners. We're all growing together into the perfected bride of Christ. We're not there yet. But 
mature believers are striving for this. They have their mind more on glorifying God and living for Him. And they're far more aware of their own struggles that they've had to overcome. They've come to a place where they know they don't have it all together. And you know, you are just as much a part of this body as anyone else. And God has provided comfort and help for you in the church. You're not excluded. Your problems are not so crazy or outside the realm of what God's provided for in the comfort of the church. It is specifically what God has provided for in the comfort of one another. Also, as I mentioned, you in isolation aren't going to have the best judgment because you've been slowly being brainwashed by these lying thoughts and these deceptive thoughts. So you're desperately going to need eyes that can see objectively. You're going to need accountability. And again, you're going to need wise, godly, loving, patient counsel. Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to neglect meeting together, but we are to encourage one another. That's the job of the church. That's what you're looking for, and it is there for you. So don't try to do this alone because you know what? You don't need to. You really don't need to. You don't need to fear. You just need to have trusted people who are devoted to love on you. And they are there. And so finally, before I get to the last one, let me review. Again, first you want to make sure that you're acknowledging you're enslaved to darkness. And second, you have to acknowledge that Christ can and will set you free as you come to him and rely on him in patience and faith. And then third, you have to bring whatever's in darkness out into the light with the help of the Holy Spirit through prayer and reading the word as you grow in understanding. And four, acknowledge that it's going to take time. This is a a pattern that you took time to get into, and it's going to take time and faithful, wise biblical counsel to help dig up the root problems that need to be dealt with. And fifth, really, you really want to rely on a community of biblical friends or the church or loved ones. This is what God has provided for help and comfort. And then finally, my last recommendation is probably the most important, (laughs) undoubtedly the most important. Remember God. Remember God. Remember who he is, his character, his love for you, his grace and mercy and forgiveness, his nearness to you, his compassion for those who suffer his word, and the fact that he hears our prayers. Remember God. Psalm 34, 17 through 19 says that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Remember God. Now, just some practical things to talk about. If you have been dealing with secretive eating, secretive food avoidance, and you are willing to start this path of recovery and freedom and light, not only will you need faithful biblical counsel, but you're likely going to need some health care too. A registered dietitian nutritionist really ought to be part of this process because this is a heart, soul, and body issue. 
damage may already have actually been done, which needs proper healthcare attention, which needs some healing. Your physician may need to be involved if the eating behavior has gone on for a while. There are actually some dangerous repercussions to your body. Pretty dangerous. And I don't want to underplay that. I don't want your first foray into this or your first thought about this to be fear. But you do need to understand the seriousness of this behavior. But if you're a Christian, you also need to realize that you need help dealing with the root issues that plague you and that can be redeemed by Christ. You don't want to only submit to secular help, which can only help you in behavior change and thought reframing, which is temporary and can only go so far. As a Christian, you probably desire and know that this takes a heart change, a soul change on the deepest level. This is the domain of God. Biblically faithful counsel and discipleship will be essential for you. So a couple of suggestions. You can look for an ACBC certified biblical counselor near you to work through some of these issues, specifically the heart issues and the faithful, faithful, wise biblical counsel. These ACBC certified biblical counselors can be found at biblicalcounseling.com and you can click on find a counselor. You can also, of course, visit my site to work with me. I'm a biblical counselor as well as a registered dietitian nutritionist. And I work on a very holistic, well-rounded approach to recovery for this type of issue and many others. Now, for all the rest of you listening, or even if this is you I'm talking to, let's try together to help those struggling with the shame and the captivity of disordered eating practices by extending the love and the hope of Christ. Be the safe place. Be the trustworthy individual who will walk this possibly long path with them. If possible, you might be able to send this episode to someone you care about who needs it, but you know, that can be a bit problematic too. um, If they're not asking for the help, if they're not at that place that they're willing to get help. But if you find this topic important and you really wish to reach others with these first steps toward getting help for eating disorders, then please share this episode, share it on your social media page or any way you can. That's how we can get help like this and other similar topics out to those who need them. So until we meet again, sisters, let's all remember that no matter what we're dealing with, and we are all dealing with something, we've been dealing with things in the past, we'll deal with issues in the future, and we're dealing with issues now, that 1 Corinthians 10.31 can encourage us along the path. That whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, let's have the mind to do it all to the glory of God. Amen, and I'll see you soon.